Welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we talk about the strange, bizarre, and the infantile from the VHS era. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Hi there. If you at home would like to follow us on this cinematic case study of a man forever imprisoned in an infant psyche, then as of this broadcast, you can find 1973's The Baby on YouTube and, like us, witness firsthand the absolute underfunded efficiency of government social services. Because, you know, clearly this is totally a work of nonfiction and an absolutely accurate representation of child protective services in America. I don't know if every child service worker is like the Anne character in this film. I feel like, well, maybe one of their case cases would get uh, inordinate amounts of attention. But yeah, apparently there are some that that'll be left out. This this is definitely going to be discussed later. All right. So as Leland just suggested, we watched this week 1973's the baby so leland how you had seen this before right yes i believe this is my third time seeing this film the first was at a party it was half paying attention to it the second time i was sitting down duly focused and this time i was actively trying to be like more hypercritical and maybe even riff it a bit but it's just so hard because despite the ridiculous subject matter, this film is like very competently well-written and directed. Yeah, we're going to discuss that more. Um, this was directed by a guy named Ted Post, and this was the only horror or horror adjacent movie that he ever did. He kind of had a reputation as just being a workmanlike very competent, very direct filmmaker that like, if you needed a good job done, you went to him. And the writer, his name is Abe Polsky. This was also the only horror related thing that he ever wrote. Uh, aside from this, he did like a lot of TV episodes and things. So both of them, it's a really odd combination to take on this subject matter. There was one film in the script writers uh like portfolio that looked like it might be something we'd want to look into it had something to do with a platoon of exiled or misfit marines in the jungle that would basically just spend their entire day terrorizing the locals of uh you know the 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 jungle area they lived in <laughs> Mm, I'm not familiar with that one. It doesn't sound like it's for me. I really dislike war movies, and I really dislike torture. It doesn't strike me as a war film at all, but only because it's this guy who wrote it. Like, I'm really curious to see if this film, this script is an outlier, or if some of this odd stuff carries over. No, I certainly over. think this this i do not think this is characteristic of his work uh that's my impression but there's not that much out there that i could find anyway about the process behind this film like 
a lot of people have seen this film. There's a lot of reviews out there, and it's remarkably easy to watch. Um, like it's it's available on you know all of the formats, but I couldn't find any place where the writer or director discussed or commented on this film. All right, so like what kind of person would you recommend this movie to someone very open-minded but i think the fact that the script is just played so straight give the gives this film a wider net to catch viewers than it otherwise would yeah i'm actually surprised by how my my wife and I are both huge fans of this movie, and we introduce it to people all the time. And it's really surprising to me at as at how accessible it is, I guess, that even though it's got super bizarre subject matter, um, in terms of the acting, the direction, the the arc of the script, the music, everything is just very typical 70s melodrama made for tv movie feel that like even if you don't like these kinds of movies you're not terribly put off by it at least that's my experience so i have talked with people about this movie who were really really found it problematic but i'm going to save that um, till later in the cast to, to talk about because problematic. I, yeah, I want to explore that a bit with you. Um, I think that everybody who's a horror fan should at least give this movie a shot. And if you're into 70s movies, for sure, um, because this is to me sort of the epitome of this kind of movie that being like 70s psychodrama takes on cultural issues but in a warped way um what would today be like a lifetime original movie but with a with a grindhouse glaze if this movie were to be made now i think it would be like overly violent and exploitative and this film really doesn't seem like it's that exploitative on the surface to me Oh, it's not. It's rated PG. <laughs> oh, no. But I can I could totally see a toned down version of this without the stranger things being a lifetime original movie. Like uh, my wife really likes watching those at night, like falling asleep. And they all have plots sort of like this. Yeah, because my experience is that like every lifetime film is either, uh, you know, someone, some, some woman finding Mr. Right or rediscovering their love for Christmas. No, or, that's like, that's or like, like, or like, you know, taking some abusive guy to the streets and like getting revenge. Yeah, the latter is, is more of it. The, the first two, I think, are more true of like Hallmark movies now. Um, and a lot of the Lifetime movies are like, I married a killer or my mother killed my best friend or 
we adopted an evil child. Like there's always some, there, there are ostensibly horror ideas, but I don't know. I'm not a fan. I don't enjoy watching them. The Lifetime movies I like are the old ones um, from the like late 80s and 90s where it's like the poor orphan whose parents recently died and now he's out on the street and he's taken in by a kind stranger but then she ends up on welfare and they struggle like those kinds of movies i i enjoy those yeah i think i can say well first off i lump hallmark and lifetime into the same mound oh no they're very different I will take, I guess I'll just have to take your word for it. I am, I am woefully ignorant <laughs> about this, these subclasses of films. I definitely do not have a preferred, um, a preferred <laughs> lifetime original movie era to pick titles from. No, I mean, this is not altogether irrelevant for this movie we're talking about tonight, but I really like a certain period of made-for-TV movie. Basically, everything from the 70s and early 80s has a very distinct feel. And a lot of times, it's like an after-school special type thing where there's a social issue that they're tackling um, in a very melodramatic way. And I am... I just thoroughly enjoy those movies for some perverse reason. And this movie feels like it's part of that genre. Even though it got a theatrical release, I could totally imagine this, you know, playing in the middle of the day on TV in the 70s and just catching people totally off guard. All right. So with all that said, I think we've talked about it enough. Let's play the trailer and then we'll go through the plot. There wasn't enough room in Toyland to escape the terror that rocked Baby's cradle. I notice you call him Baby, and the case history doesn't show any other name. What is his real name? Just Baby. Through Baby, life was not a giant playpen. It was a living hell. He wasn't allowed to walk, he wasn't allowed to talk, but he was capable of it. Baby is a full-grown man trapped by three women with no way out. talking about that circus mm-hmm they wanted to put him in a sideshow we should have said yes you're calling your brother a freak oh mama i just thought it'd be better that way three four close the door i just wanted to face you one more time to tell you that you're sick you're the one who needs help, not baby. That's just so much horse. You want him for yourself. Well, agency or no agency, you ain't gonna get him. Because baby belongs to us. No, to me. He belongs to himself. He's not the subhuman thing you've made him.
Scotia International Release, starring Anjanette Comer, Ruth Roman, Mariana Hill, Suzanne Zenor, and David Manzi as Baby. Rated PG. So I feel like that trailer is slightly misleading, but let's say, <laughs> let's put it this way: the movie is more ambiguous um, in terms of, I think, what the abilities of Baby actually are. Um, than I think that trailer suggests. Hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> the trailer seemed basically just to, to ruin the entire film, as well, we have discussed on prior episodes. Yeah, that too. But all right, so we'll get to what I'm talking about. So at the, at the beginning of the movie, we open on this woman, Anne, who's going to turn out to be our protagonist. And she's looking through some photos like she's a social worker and she's looking at the case file for this young man, baby, um, who is supposed to be 21. Um, but I think the actor looks about 30. That sounds right. And and so she's looking through these photos of him. Um, he's a grown baby uh, or he's a grown man, but he's, you know, wearing diapers and crawling and all of that. And there's an older woman with her, Judith. This is her mother-in-law. And they both seem very concerned by what they're seeing. And so we know pretty shortly that Anne is a social worker and she has got this new case on baby who is the only male member of the Wadsworth family. In fact, he's really the only male consistently in the film. What did you make of that? Did you think that had a, a larger point? No, I didn't even consider it. I mean, besides baby, you have the boss of the agency. Yeah, but he's, he's only in it for what? Like a minute, two scenes max yeah. and the doctor of the hospital which or the the school for children and that's one scene don't uh, forget don't forget dennis the skin freak oh yes dennis the skin freak oh no is this is this an an anti-male film is that where you're going not necessarily i think it's you know there's a suggestion in the middle of the film that mrs wadsworth has a a hatred of men because her husbands have left her and she is exerting revenge on baby on behalf of all men. And I think that the fact that he is the only male consistently in the movie adds plausibility to that theory. Oh God, I was being marginalized and I didn't realize it. I don't, I don't know if the, I don't know if the film has an anti-male agenda. It's just that the characters seem to. Hmm. But anyway, Anne goes to meet Baby, and she meets Mrs. Wadsworth, who is played by Ruth Roman. And before we even get into the film, what did you think of this performance? You know, the first thing I. I think of when I see Anne is that she's totally rocking like Maggie Gyllenhaal's like signature sad turtle look. You know, like they both look like like children's storybook sad cartoon turtles. Uh, 
I don't see that comparison at all. <laughs> no? No. Uh, no, I, I that's what I always think of when I see either of them. But what about Ruth Roman, who's playing Mrs. Wadsworth? You know, her, her opening outfit in this scene is like this fabulous dress from like a repurposed tablecloth. <laughs> and I thought like, well, maybe that was like a consistent thing throughout the film. And I just didn't remember it. But no, her outfits are all over the place. It's like she actually dresses like a real person. Like she just doesn't have like a signature outfit. Her no, performance I, is is great. I love all the fashion in this movie, but I just like 70s fashion. But you're right that it seems very natural. It doesn't seem orchestrated um, or stylized. Uh, but yeah, Ruth Roman is my favorite thing about this movie. I think I love this archetype, like the 70s evil abusive mother who has her own like psychological trauma I, I i mean every horror movie after psycho for a while had this archetype right and i don't know why like my own mother was not like this um i don't know why i'm drawn to it but i am these characters they just fascinate me so mrs wadsworth is is really friendly for now but we can see her growing increasingly irritated as Anne spends more and more time there um, and they have more and more conversation. And Anne says that she made a special effort to get baby's case um, because it was impossible not to be interested. So in addition to baby, Mrs. Wadsworth has two daughters, Germaine and Alba. And what did you think of these characters? If I was walking around at night and I saw Jermaine coming from the opposite direction, I would cross the street. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, she should almost have, like her hair deserves a movie. <laughs> deserves its own movie. <laughs> it's very scary. I know we're jumping ahead, but there's one scene in like the middle of the movie where Jermaine's hair, like the front half of it is all permed. And the back half of it is all straight. What was that a style that I just was not aware of? I don't know. I don't think that was ever a style. But it certainly fits her like low key psychopath vibe. Seriously, I, I wrote down in my notes that Jermaine's hair makes her look like a. And then I never finished because I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything fitting. Oh. <laughs> it, it's a very odd looking. But and then her sister, Alba, she often has like pigtails and acts like a sexualized little girl almost like she also seems to be regressed or like her development was prevented. Did she strike you that way? No, I I think she was presented as the one who was supposed to be more crazy, but she just got outshone by Jermaine. Yeah, so like, we fought. Go ahead. Because, you know, she's the sister that later on can, can tries to convince someone to burn themselves, but somehow, <laughs> yeah. somehow still comes off as more stable <laughs> than that hair. Well, she just strikes me as having no agency. Like, she's the one that the mother always yells at and says, like, you know, 
shut your mouth. We're not asking your opinion. Like she just struck me as being treated like a child. Mm. But we find out that this family's only income is from baby's welfare checks. Jermaine does some commercial acting once in a while and Alba gives tennis lessons, but really their only source of income is baby. And this is the first of this is the first suggestion that maybe Mrs. Wadsworth has motivations for keeping baby incapacitated. But we're kind of thrown a lot of possible motivation. So at the end, I'm curious to to hear your sort of analysis of what you think Mrs. Wadsworth really wants. All right. But the the father, we find out the father ran off, or at least that's what we're told. Fathers. And, right. Yeah. Um, she says baby's father in particular ran off. We see baby. He's an adult man. As I said before, he's sleeping in a crib. <laughs> There's a scene where Jermaine is feeding him and Anne is like, Anne wants to feed him too. And I, that scene was really bizarre to me. You know, some people are like that with kids. They're like, oh, let me hold your kid. Let me do this. Let me do that. I mean, some people just really like kids, but then either have no interest in, in making their own or just don't have any. Yeah, I I don't understand the love of children at all, but um, that's why I don't have any. Hmm. Uh, so the weirdest aspect of this movie to me is that Baby is dubbed by an actual baby. Like we have this adult man, but he makes baby noises and he's not imitating baby noises. It's actual baby noises. How does that strike you? I found out something when doing a little bit of research on this film, and that is in the original cut of this film, that actor actually made all of the original sounds. Yeah, I read that he was quite upset that his vocal track was not included. Apparently it was lost. So when the film came out um, as like re-releases, they had to dub him over with actual baby noises. Right. So I am not sure if I saw the ver a version where it was his original noises or if I saw one that was dubbed. No, there is no, there isn't one where it's his original noises. Are you sure? Yes. Hmm. I'm a hundred percent positive. A hundred percent positive. Yes. Every version know. of this. I, I, I can't say anything against that. It's a hundred percent. I think the first time I saw this film, I thought the noises were silly, but as a result of like overexposure or Stockholm syndrome or whatever you want to call it. I, you know, it does not bother me anymore. Like watching the film this third time, like it just seemed completely fine and in line with everything else in this film. I'm not a a huge fan of the dubbed baby noises. It it takes me out of it some, but there's other things about baby that are also unrealistic. So, for example, there's a scene where. There's a scene where Mrs. Wadsworth is massaging baby's legs with lotion and saying that if she doesn't, the muscles will atrophy. And then Anne says, 
his legs looked totally normal. If this man had never stood or walked, like his legs would not look totally normal. No, but how would you suggest they replicate that in 1973? I, I'm no, I'm not saying that the filmmakers did a bad job. I'm just saying that the the baby voice is not the only surreal thing about this quote unquote child. Oh no, not at all. Um, like whether that's from necessity or by design is probably something we could debate. Yeah, I mean, I think it it was out part at least partly out of necessity, but I also know that David Mooney, who plays Baby, apparently he shaved all his body hair to portray Baby, and like that's silly too because if he really was like a man in his 20s developmentally he would have body hair do were like hormone suppressants a thing in the 70s no i don't think so i mean maybe and besides that there's no indication that they're doing anything like that anyway would would you put that past the the wadsworths i don't think so no but again, I want to get to that later. Like, what what's up with their motivation? I have a feeling that there was there were hormone suppressants in the seventies. I don't know. I'll have to. That's something that I'll have to look up later. Um, I thought, I thought, whereas like transgender hormones or whatever the actual term for like giving you hormones of the opposite biological sex, I think that that was a thing. But I don't think like puberty blockers or suppressants were available at that time. I would imagine the science wasn't as clear as it is now or as developed, but I'm pretty sure there was still like uh, there, there, the, the idea was still there and the pharmaceuticals could still make it happen. So I'm looking it up. Like I distinctly recall child actors being past hormone suppressants to keep them in the industry longer i have never heard of that yeah that's a thing um i'm trying to think of an of a of an actual example because i don't want to be wrong I, I i can think of a couple things but i'm not 100 percent certain all right well i'm ba i'm back and in that 30 seconds i just took to try to research this i can't find it so you know what we're just gonna theorize that it may or may not have been uh, available. But um, regardless, we don't see any indication in this film that that's being done. No. So Anne's supervisor calls her in because she's dedicating too much time to baby and she's she's negligent towards her other patients. But she thinks she says that she that this case warrants that because there's some criminality going on, and they mentioned that the previous social worker disappeared, <laughs> and her her supervisor is totally unfazed by this. He says people try to drop out of sight all the all the time. It happens. Yeah, like I get that this is the '70s, 
And undoubtedly, it was way more common for, you know, adult women to vanish into the clutches of serial killers and, and like forest monsters. But like, come on, this is, this is a government agency and a co-worker goes missing. Yeah, yeah whatever it happens. It, I mean, and we're no spoilers. Well, we're spoiling the movie, but at the end, when a whole bunch of other characters die, I was thinking the same thing, like this would be investigated like this isn't something you could just get away with, with no repercussions. This is forensics was such such an awful science back then. Like they don't they didn't have any of the techniques that exist now. Uh, sure, but there's lots of circumstantial evidence in these cases, like <laughs> well, last they... known person to see them. <laughs> How are they going to figure that out, though, if they can't find him and there's no witnesses? I don't know. So anyway, uh, this seemed sketchy to me, and I'm surprised that the supervisor is so nonplussed about it. But he is. So Anne ignores him. She keeps on top of the baby case, and she keeps saying that baby seems intelligent and capable, and she's trying to encourage him to do to develop further by doing things like playing ball with him. And there's this particular scene where she's rolling. She's basically trying to play fetch with with baby. And Jermaine is standing by and Jermaine is getting like you can tell she's visibly nervous, right? Like the actress that plays Jermaine is actually really effective. I can tell what she's thinking by her expressions. She asks um about Anne's husband and Anne says he was an architect and we find out later that he was involved in some kind of accident but she won't say anything more do you remember this scene that I'm describing yes and if you have seen this movie once you will be scrutinizing this scene very thoroughly and I believe this was the same stretch of dialogue where <laughs> where uh Jermaine is questioning Anne about her hobbies. What does she do for fun? Like, do you go outside? Do you go jogging anywhere? And it's not really emphasized, but there there's like this seemingly sinister undertone to it. Like, where can I get you alone? <laughs> yeah, and in specific, she asks Anne if she'll go hiking in the mountains with her. Yeah. It, but, you know, her, there is a sinister tinge here, but I also get the impression, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I get the impression that Jermaine, yeah, she's threatening her, but I think she is also, like, sincerely wants a friend. Like, she seems sincere here, or, or even flirtatious. No, I didn't get that at all. You didn't get that at all? Oh, <laughs> no, I, not at all. I definitely do. In fact, my read on this movie is that Jermaine is a lesbian and she's attracted to Anne. Spoiler, there's a specifically a scene where also, she, oh God, this film's PG. There's a scene where she climbs into baby's crib at night after taking off her underwear. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... That throws a wrench in your theory. There's some incest going on, but plenty of lesbians have slept with men especially man children 
she she does not show the same sexual prog- uh, proclivity that her sister does. Yeah, I suppose. But I do not subscribe to that theory. Anyway, again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I just I think this is a really nuanced portrayal and during this scene i'm thinking yeah she wants to get her up in the mountains and like push her over a cliff but she also wouldn't mind if she had a friend maybe a lover but definitely a friend hmm so this actress is mariana hill and i'm not sure i've ever seen her anything else i mean if i have i wouldn't have recognized her without this haircut A quick IMDb search tells me that she was in The Godfather Part 2, but I don't remember. I mean, she probably did not have this fright wig. Do you think it's a wig? No, no, just like, uh, it's just a saying. Hmm, I wasn't sure. So, we see Anne and her mother-in-law, and they're looking through old pictures of Anne's husband, and we're led to believe that he's dead. Because Anne keeps saying things like she can't upset, accept it, and she's very upset. So, I mean, try to remember back to the first time you saw this movie. Did you assume that he was dead? Absolutely. Totally dead. All right, me too. So, spoiler, that may not be true. But at this point, it's pretty clear that he's dead. We switch to... This is where the movie... If you were not already hooked into this movie... This is the part where I think I get hooked. So we see a a baby has a babysitter and the other Wadsworths are out somewhere out to dinner. Um, And the babysitter is talking to, I guess, her boyfriend on the phone. And I really like this. She says, of course, I'm wearing panties. Don't I always? And then before she hangs up, she says, just for you, I'll make sure they're off. I like how the beginning of the phone call, she was basically like, why don't you respect me? And then at the end of it, yeah, um, I'll, I'll just show up without underwear. No problem. Yeah, I, I, I like that exchange. But it, because it's almost like, like that exchange could be out of Halloween or any other like teen slasher movie. But instead, it's in this movie, which is a really different creation. The babysitter has to go on the phone because baby is crying and she goes up and she has to change baby's diaper, which is super weird. Like we don't really see anything, but just the idea of it really grosses me out. Okay. I I don't know. It does. I would not be so no kink shaming, but I could not do the adult baby lifestyle of which there are practitioners and, you know, whatever makes them happy. But that's one I I don't get. So baby wants out of his crib and he keeps trying to open the door and get out. And finally, the babysitter um, lets him out and he hits his head and he's crying and she's comforting him. And then he starts groping her like he wants to get at her breast. And she says, no, I'll, I'll go get you a bottle. And But then she relents and she opens her shirt and lets him start to suckle her. What do you think about this? One, I don't think she opens her shirt. I think 
baby just kind of works his way in there. Uh, no, there's definitely a scene where she kind of pulls it aside. Hmm. I was really watching carefully and I, I, I noticed, <laughs> um, but so, uh, I mean, let's assume that if, if she, regardless of what she does, she doesn't put up much of a fight. So yeah. what do you think that this is ethically reprehensible or do you think this is acceptable? I mean, of course, this is abuse. There's there's no way to look at it as anything else. I mean, why? I mean, he clearly he clearly wants it. Sure. But one, you know, a child cannot consent. And that includes an adult with a childlike mind. I don't think that's true. I mean, people. Have... Okay, let's put it this way. It's true to the in the when in regards to the law. No, I don't think that's true either. Like if people who have mental disabilities engage in relationships. Like, yeah, you can't abuse one in a living facility when they're asleep or if they can't verbally consent. But I think that like if you have a mental disability, you could still have sex with someone and they're not breaking a law. You're going to tell me that the character baby in this film, 1973's The Baby, has enough mental autonomy to decide right from wrong and make clear and present decisions in regards to his, uh, you know, health, safety, and needs. No, and I'm not saying that like, I think that it's unquestionable that he is not morally reprehensible in this scene. What I'm asking is, is the babysitter doing anything wrong? At yes, the... she, she is totally, uh, she's, she's totally taking part in this willingly. Right. But so what is the dilemma here? He clearly wants it and he is physically more powerful than her and she's relenting I think and giving that's an assumption okay well regard that's kind of aside from the point i just mean i don't i don't know he's we don't know what his actual mental age is although all in, by all indications he's like infantile but he's clearly physically an adult and he is the instigator and aggressor the so Okay, so the idea that I got here was that he wanted to breastfeed, which insinuates that that the Mrs. Wadsworth has been breastfeeding him this entire time. Yes, that's the suggestion. Right. Um, so there was nothing like uh, there there was nothing inherently sexual on Baby's part in 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 interacting with the babysitter here, but the babysitter's not even a wet nurse right and she just lets it happen so like bestiality is wrong I feel like i'm victim blaming when i say that and i, I promise i'm not i don't know so goes along with it bestiality is wrong but like if my dog humps my leg and i allow him to i'm not doing anything wrong right like isn't it? I am not fit to judge that. <laughs> I think it's comparable. 
I think it's comparable. I'm not sure I would judge her, but regardless of what I think, Mrs. Wadsworth gets home and she thinks it's wrong and she because is because it is <laughs> and she is furious um, and she starts whipping the babysitter with like a belt or a rope or something, which is traditional when you catch an abuser in the act. So so first of all, Mrs. Wadsworth is furious because why do you think she's furious? Uh, geez. Um, so possibility that that is that is my how dare you abuse baby? He's our abuse outlet. How dare you? Yeah, I mean, so I'm not sure if she's mad because she has a maternal instinct and actually wants to protect him or if she's jealous because she wants to be the only maternal figure. I don't think her actions throughout this film are in. I mean, first off, it's, of course, misguided, but I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be malevolent. Not I mean, on her part. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. So I think she just has a uh, confused backwards concept of love and and motherly protection, uh, uh, motherly uh, like instinct. Like it's like a cancer has infected it and it's not working the way it should. I mean, that's somewhat true of the whole family. Like um, the Germaine stops her from attacking the babysitter and the way she gets her to stop is to say baby's watching this. So there is like there is a desire, uh, at least among those two, to protect baby. And yet they arguably engage in abuse of him the entire movie. I but I think that's supposed to also be part of the process to keep him in a state where he cannot abandon the family. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I'm not um, saying it's a good plan. I'm not saying it should be happening, but I think that's the, the logic. I mean, one of the things that I think elevates this movie from like exploitation schlock to good movie is that I think these characters have really complex, conflicting motivations. And it's not like you and I could watch the same scene and come away with a different interpretation of the actor or the character's motives. And I think that that is that speaks to a level of nuance that's really interesting and was not needed for this movie. Like you totally could have made this movie with no nuance whatsoever. So we see Alba is, uh, this is later and Alba's sitting in the yard with baby. He's in like a playpen and the, you know, here she has her hair and pigtails. She's chewing on a pen. Like she seems very childish um, as well. And Anne shows up and she's saying to Alba, like, I'd like to be your friend. Like, can can't we be friends? Do you think at this point Anne legit wants to be her friend or is she just trying to manipulate her? I think Anne is playing the long con here. All right. I'm not. I think she's been doing that the entire film. Yeah. Let's wait until the end and, and right. we'll have that conversation because I'm really not sure. But. This is where Alba has to go answer the phone 
And this is where Anne tries to help baby stand. And Mrs. Wadsworth shows up just as that's happening. And she confronts Anne and the two have an argument. Like Anne is trying to convince her to put baby in a clinic. And Mrs. Wadsworth basically says like, if you think he has potential, prove it. And so Anne tries to play the the dog fetch game with him um, and he won't do anything. But Mrs. Wadsworth is also giving him like these incredibly mean looks, like the kind of look that says you're going to be beaten if you do this. Mm. Do do you think that he do you think that he can perceive what his mother wants by the expressions she makes? I don't see why not. I mean, that's something um, that's something infants can do. That's something toddlers can do. So I don't see why a grown ass man with a stunted psyche can't do it. Yeah, I, I think that's true, too. So needless to say, uh, Anne did not show did not prove what Mrs. Wadsworth wanted. But she says she'll think about it anyway. She'll think about putting her putting baby in the clinic. But then we see Alba punishing baby with a cattle prod. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what you heard in the trailer. She's saying like baby doesn't talk, doesn't walk, baby doesn't stand and shocking him with the cattle prod. In case there was any ambiguity in whether or not the family was actually deranged. Here you go. Good old fashioned PG <laughs> cattle prodding of a child. Well, Jermaine says something like, you're not supposed to use the cattle prod, and Mrs. Wadsworth stops her and actually shocks her. So it just it seems like Alba has more of a sadistic streak than the other two. Jermaine uh, is doing an entirely different kind of abusing because right after this scene is when we see her get in his crib naked. This is never revisited throughout the film this is this is all you get well i feel like they probably barely got away with this i i don't know that you could emphasize an incest theme on top of all the other things this movie's dealing with i I did not catch that this film had a pg rating until you mentioned that earlier it does indeed so Anne is talking to the doctor at the clinic that she wants baby to go to. And this is where she says that she thinks Mrs. Wadsworth is taking revenge on baby for all the men who have left her. If that is her motivation, it's subconscious. You don't think Mrs. Wadsworth is like thinking that way, do you? I think it could be taken that way. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be subconscious. I mean, there's a very conscious concerted effort on not only her part, but the daughters in making sure baby's development stays at that level. I mean, his name is baby, right? So we don't know how long this was kind of planned. Well, if if baby's on the birth certificate, like there, there's the intention right there. Yeah, but it seems to me that, like, I don't know that Mrs. Wadsworth is doing that for revenge so much as she just never wants him to be able to leave. Like, 
it's more of like a separation anxiety thing or a fear of abandonment than it is revenge. I mean, it, it could be both. I kind of just assumed it was all of these things. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's true. But Anne, Anne just says that she thinks it's revenge. Uh, during it, the family, the Wadsworth family never shows up to the clinic. And we find out that Mrs. Wadsworth made some kind of complaint and got Anne taken off the case. Do you think Anne just got taken off the case or did she get fired? Because we never see her work again. Hmm. I just assumed she was taken off the case. That's what I assumed too. But then when I was watching it earlier, I was thinking, wow, we never see her work again at all. Like she really doesn't see any of her other cases. I guess they just don't really want to fill the film up with fluff, right? Yeah. Do you really want to see your main character do like their nine to five retail job? And no, I like, suppose that's, that's true. The, not if that's the if the movie's not about that, right? Right. So Anne confronts uh, the Wadsworths and she says she's going to file a complaint with the guardianship office um, and that she's going to get custody of baby. And the, while Mrs. Wadsworth is obstinate, this does seem to threaten them like they seem frightened of this possibility. So Mrs. Wadsworth calls Anne later and apologizes, and she invites her to baby's birthday party. This is a really bizarre birthday party for anyone, but especially for a baby. I mean, it's not unusual for parents to to use their child's like infant child's birthday as an excuse to get together and dance or you know, drink or whatever. I suppose that's true, but it, it, is, it, it is kind of um, against the grain of what was established earlier in that, you know, the Wadsworths, the Wadsworths are supposed to be like a very private family. That's uh, you know, see, that's what struck like. me. I thought they were like social outcasts, but then in this scene, they seem hugely popular. Well, I mean, people just show up for free booze sometimes. I don't know. Everyone seems to be really into Mrs. Wadsworth. Like she's dancing and having a good time. Yeah. It, and, and then you get to know her and you leave. <laughs> Anne, Anne comes and this is where she meets Dennis. And he says his like pickup line is you've got beautiful skin. And she says, don't tell me you're a dermatologist. And he says, nope. <laughs> just a skin freak and uh, and this is the scene where um where Jermaine has the the perm in the front straight hair in the back get up and Anne keeps want Anne wants to talk to Mrs. Wadsworth about baby but Mrs. Wadsworth just keeps telling her like have a drink and and get loose right she does not want to have that conversation um and we see why, because as soon as Anne is distracted, uh, they drug her drink. Yo, she is really good at darts. She's really good at darts. And she's also, um, for someone who is drugged, she's amazingly good at darts. <laughs> and the effects of whatever drug they give her wear off really quickly. Like, I think if you were given like a sedative or something, 
that shit would last like throughout the night. I mean, I, I mean, for plot reasons, they had to make it so that she had some kind of a fighting chance, right? They didn't or, just want to like overload her with like Georgia homeboy, and then that's the end of the film, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they they tie her up in the basement. And while she's down there, see, Mrs. Wadsworth has this speech during the scene where she says, like, baby gives her something to live for. And most mothers would want to see their children go off into the world. But she's comforted knowing that baby will never have to face any real hardships. So this is another one of those scenes where, like, it, I don't know if she seems sympathetic to me, but... She seems like a real conflicted character. If this movie had just a couple of scenes removed of like the egregious child abuse, I think you would be able to sympathize with the Wadsworths a little bit. But I think I think the deck is just stacked too hard against them. I definitely don't sympathize with Jermaine or Alba, but I do <laughs> sympathize with the mother. It might just be that this is a really good performance. Or at least I think it's a really good performance. Um, the So Baby helps Anne escape. And Alba's distracted because she's fooling around with Dennis. And this is the scene you alluded to earlier where she strikes a lighter and then she wants Dennis to put his finger in it. If you put your finger in it. Who knows what could happen? Well, she basically implies like, I'll go to bed with you, but you have to hold it in there for a minute. And then at some point he takes it out and she's like, you know, that wasn't nearly a minute. Do you think that he's especially disturbed by the burning finger because he's so into skin? Nice skin. <laughs> I I think there's just a natural aversion to burning yourself. <laughs> no, but I for, thought about that when people. I was watching. <laughs> I thought about the irony that he was also a skin freak. Uh, perhaps. I mean, I, I think he was more into other people's skin than his own. Uh, perhaps that's true. Anyway, Anne escapes with Baby. And we see her with him at her home, giving him a bath and she dresses him up in a suit and she takes a picture with him standing to send to the Wadsworths. Do you think that her sole motivation at this point is to get the Wadsworths angry so that they'll come after her? Yes, this was part of the plan. This is like a hostage photo <laughs> where they got him dressed up real nice like a like a boss baby. Like, yo, <laughs> at come get him. And, oh, what struck me, though, is like, why have it? Because the Wadsworths are able to track her down. Why didn't they do that already? They didn't feel the need to. They weren't going to lose their kid at that point. I mean, it's I guess it's insinuated that they disappeared the other social worker, right? So maybe they just didn't do it yet because they didn't feel like it was necessary. I don't know. I mean, Mrs. Wadsworth is clearly super upset that her baby is gone. And not looking like a baby. Yeah. Yeah, because um, Anne sends them a letter 
that basically says you've lost your baby forever because I'm going to help him grow up and be a normal person. Now, and, see, that is evidence that could have been used at the end of the film in an investigation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. At one point here, Alba is saying that they should have let baby be taken by the sideshow. And this really infuriates uh, Mrs. Wadsworth. She basically says, like, don't say anything like that again. So you see, you see here that, like, Alba might be sadistic towards baby, but I think that Mrs. Wadsworth is legitimately, like, trying to be a good mother. Oh, about... I think she really cares about him. She thinks she is doing her best. That is the that is the best way to put it. She feels like keeping baby in this in this condition is the best possible way to keep him safe and protected. Right. Yeah, that's a good way of articulating it. But she's definitely upset. And we see Judith and Anne talking about their plan. And Judith says afterwards, like after the plan, aren't you afraid that we'll be just like them, mean the Wadsworths? And Anne replies, we could never be like them. Do you think that like at this moment in time, who are you who are you ethically aligned with, if anyone? And I think I think everyone kind of sucks in this film, <laughs> but I suppose the lesser evil here is going to be Anne. Yeah, I well, I'll save this, but I'm not. B- both both characters are selfish as hell. Yeah, but so... at least the quality of baby's quality of life is definitely improved in one custody over the other. That's true. You know, in past viewings, I've always thought that Anne was just like selfish and kind of evil. But in this viewing, I didn't condemn her as much. I kind of thought like, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I was thinking that she really is trying to help. Again, it's like her own twisted version of helping, but she does want to do something good, I think. It just so happens to benefit her agenda as well. Yeah, that's true. So the the Wadsworths do track Anne down, and there's a scene at night where Mrs. Wadsworth waits in the car and the two daughters begin to explore the house, which is dark. And up until this point, I was kind of so-so about the musical score. It was just generic, like, 70s melodrama score. But during this scene, the night invasion scene, there's, like, some... It becomes dark and sort of avant-garde, and there's some tribal drums and some jangly noises and things. I love the the score during the scene. Like, was it memorable for you, or you didn't notice it? I don't know if uh, this particular scene jumped out to me, but the whole film is scored 
with this with like variations of a children's or a baby's music box like accented with like sad cellos and i really think that captures like the perfect condition of baby yeah i think that it it changes the way you're describing when the scene is focused on baby but during this scene it's very much um dark and uh, like literally dark it's very dark it's oh a, the screen is very dark yeah all the lights are but off. the score the score <laughs> is attending uh, attempting to be um suspenseful i guess um the music is by gerald fried who he he went on to do a lot of stuff um i guess he did he worked on the soundtrack for like the new star trek movies the transformers movies he did soylent green that he did the man from uncle he did the the roots uh miniseries from the 70s so he went on to have a a big career yeah he's got a solid portfolio so i love the uh i love the score during the scene but otherwise i think this scene goes on for far too long it does but it could have been a lot longer like the two sisters just get immediately dispatched right and i also find it odd that we don't see it we see the aftermath but we don't actually see them attacked i think it's because that's the shock value because you the viewer goes into this part of the film thinking all right you know Anne's gonna have to you know watch her ass in this in this part make sure like you know she can keep baby from getting kidnapped and then it just turns out Anne and her mother-in-law invoke castle doctrine to the extreme and turn the finale around like 180. Yeah, we find that out for for certain when Anne goes after Mrs. Wadsworth with an axe. But yeah, I, I just I think this scene was trying to be suspenseful and I don't think it succeeds and I think it's over long and I've. I do find it odd, even though I get what they're trying to do, that we don't see the killings of the daughters after they've been such significant characters. But yeah, she she attacks Mrs. Wadsworth with an axe, and we see her and her mother-in-law dragging Mrs. Wadsworth towards the backyard. And this is a good time to point out that Anne is having a pool put in the backyard and the people were coming, were going to come earlier to finish the pool. And she said to hold off presumably so she could put these bodies in the bottom. I forgot how metal as fuck this buried alive scene was where the they dragged the mom and while still conscious and fully aware of her surroundings, dump her right next to her dead daughters. Yeah, and bury her alive. And she's screaming like, what's going to happen to my baby? What do you want with my baby? And at this point in the movie, I am fully sympathetic for her. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, I Forget whatever 
bad shit she's done throughout the rest of the movie, like I am fully in her corner thinking like this evil bitch is stealing her baby <laughs> and did killed you, her daughters. Did you catch that earlier on in the film and actually compares baby's condition to being buried alive? Yeah, I, I saw this scene as like an attempt at poetic justice. Yeah, I did not remember that line until this viewing. I find the concept of being buried alive really terrifying. Yeah, it's definitely not comforting. I mean, she's not even put in a coffin, though. <laughs> she's just well, throwing dirt. And see, that makes it better to me because you would die more quickly. Right. If you were in a coffin, you'd at least have a little bit of oxygen to breathe. Did you ever see the movie? I think it's like a Danish movie, uh, The Vanishing. Mm. No, they did an American remake, but I highly recommend the the original. It's extremely disturbing, though. And um, I guess spoiler alert, it involves being buried alive, but. I really recommend that movie. I think about it all the time. The concept of it is that this man and his wife are at a gas station and his wife goes in to buy something and then she just never comes out and he never finds her. And I won't spoil anything else, but whenever like my wife goes into a store, I think of that if I'm waiting in the parking lot. Cool. Yeah, I could use some lifelong trauma like that. Yeah, it <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a very well-made movie, but back to the baby. Yeah, they, they bury her alive in and, and this is truly horrific. Like she's villainous throughout the movie, but I don't feel like she earned this. This is above and beyond. So this is where we get the major twist. We find out that Anne's husband is not dead but he does seem to be brain damaged and behaving like an infant. And so now he has a playmate baby. So if you think back to the first time you saw this, what did you think of this ending? Completely out of left field. I think this is probably one of the best twist endings I can think of that I've, that I've ever seen. On the one hand, I think that it's totally unexpected. And yet, if you go and watch the rest of the movie again, like there are there are signals like it is. It makes logical sense. It's not an illogical ending. But at the same time, it makes me really confused about Anne's motivation in certain parts of the movie. I think her motivation doesn't change at all. I think she always had the same goal in mind. So is her goal that she wants baby and her husband to both like improve and develop? Or does she want to keep them like babies? I think she just wanted to keep baby as baby just exactly like he is. So he can forever be a playmate for her husband. So why was she like so adamant about getting him in a clinic and all that it's just part of the ruse i think she would have tried to figure out various ways to ultimately end up at the same goal 
See, that's what doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me that she would try to get him in a clinic or she tried to teach him to stand or any of that stuff if she wanted him to remain a baby because none of that is essential to her getting him. You can look at this as like a giallo film, right? Maybe those were just like the red herrings. Yeah, I get that. I get that, but it's still a flaw of the movie to me. It, it's, it's the, like, I don't think this movie needed this kind of twist ending. I think I would have preferred it without it. Oh, no, I disagree. I think that's, this is, this is part of what makes the film so special. I, I mean, it definitely makes it memorable. And I think to the extent that this movie is talked about or seen today, it's because of the ending. Um, but I just think it's inconsistent with her character as we're led to believe her character is. Like, it makes certain actions that she takes during the rest of the movie illogical. Well, I mean, perhaps... She doesn't want to completely stunt baby's growth, but she still would have tried to to kidnap him either way to make sure her husband had that had that um that 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 companionship. I mean, that's the way I rationalized it, and I also think that maybe if she can prove that baby can grow and develop then that's a positive sign that her husband might be able to as well perhaps but his was a brain injury that's not really the same thing as being repressed no but that's the only thing i can think of that that explains or rationalizes her behavior hmm. i don't know so yeah this twist ending is definitely shocking um it definitely adds to the general like ickiness and unacceptability of the actions in the movie it it has that grindhouse feel and it's it's very memorable but yeah i i'm not perfectly um i'm not perfectly on board with it just because i think it's too inconsistent not with the plot it makes perfect sense with the plot but it doesn't make sense with her motivations. And and that's a that's a ding against the movie for me. But anything else that we should talk about before we give our final thoughts and review this? I love the final shot of the film. The the still, the still frame with her like in, half of her face just kind of looking at the camera in the pool. Yeah, she, she just it's it just seems so sinister. It and yet, if it didn't have the context that we know it has, it could easily be the final shot of, like, a comedy. Right. Is, you know, I was trying to think of this as if this was supposed to be a dark comedy, but I don't think, I don't think it is. Yeah, I read some reviews that, that you know, questioned that. Uh? And I don't think it is either. I think it's supposed to be serious. Yeah. It's supposed to be a serious film. I feel like dark comedy usually has just a bit of self-awareness about this, about like the push to squeeze laughs from like traditionally non-humorous subject matter. 
And you just don't get that from this film because everything, like you said, is just played straight. Like mad props to the actor who played Baby. Like yeah, he he's he's really good. I I wish his voice wasn't dubbed, although that adds to the surrealness. But you know, there the way I think that I've seen this movie a lot, but the way I remember it is that the first couple times I watched it in the early scenes i was laughing because it was so absurd and bizarre but as the movie went on i took it more and more seriously and i i think that is just that is so amazing that they were able to do that as a whole all the filmmakers they were that that came together and made that happen yeah so truly a christmas miracle one thing I was going to mention, um, and I alluded to this earlier, is there's another horror podcast, uh, Straight Chilling, which they do good reviews. So I suggest people go check them out. But I recommended that they do this movie. And it's a little bit outside of the kind of film they typically do. And so they they reviewed it for their show and they really didn't like it. And one of the things they said is that they just could not take it seriously because the image of, you know, an adult man doing these things was just too ridiculous. And I guess I can see that. But I think that he does the mannerisms and action so well that I buy into it. But the other thing that they said that I struggle to see why I don't feel this way is basically they said that the issue of child abuse or abuse of this man child is so serious and so disturbing that this movie doesn't earn that. Like it's basically a ridiculous uh, psychodrama exploitation movie, but it's playing on this really disturbing subject matter. Like, do you feel, do you have that as a complaint or an issue at all? No, um, maybe I'm just really dense, but that that never really occurred to me. Yeah, I don't. Is something about being in the context of a movie like this, and especially within the context of the '70s? Like, first of all, all of these movies play with psychological diagnoses and issues, and like the the pop psychology of these movies is not realistic no, at least I, I don't think it is in 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 that vein i don't think that baby is any different from all of those other films yeah and that's what i was about to say is that you just have to embrace it as the medium of 70s film that these are this sort of pop psychology was something that people were interested in if they warped it and twisted it and made it as bizarre and deviant as I think they possibly could for these movies. And I can just accept that not as a reflection of reality, but as a, a language of its own that's unique to these films. And I don't find it particularly exploitive. I see that it's an exploitation movie in a way but I see it more as like just a junk psychology movie with 
weird character motivations that I really have to try to parse out. And I enjoy thinking about characters like that. Like if you really want to search for them, there are plenty of case studies for child abuse where there are parents who have neglected their children to the point where they are found by investigators, law enforcement, whatever, well into their like teens and they are illiterate. They cannot function. They're otherwise perfectly fine. And I suppose if you have actual life experience to some degree of exposure to one of those kinds of situations, then I'd imagine you could probably look at this film and be like, you know, this isn't cool. I've, I've been through this before, or I've ex been exposed to this before. And it's kind of making a mockery of something that is like an absolutely, um, you know, serious atrocity that occurs in, in the real world, although not at great frequency. But I think you could probably make that argument for just about everything. Yeah, I think that's true. Like, Last night I was watching, um, for the first time, this uh, movie, The Witch Who Came From The Sea, which uh, VHS collectors have probably at least seen the box before. And it, it involves a woman who is disturbed and who kills people as an adult because her father molested her as a child. And you could say... Well, child molestation is too serious an issue to make an exploitation film about it. Like, it's just, it should not be touched unless you're going to touch it in a serious, profound way. But I don't know if touching it is the right terminology to use. <laughs> oh, I suppose. It matter. <laughs> or, it's, or it's the perfect terminology because it fits. Uh... Um, uh, but, so... I was thinking about that as I was watching the film and I was like, yeah, this might not be a realistic representation of mental illness. And maybe it's kind of cheap that they're using something so shocking solely for shock value, but it's effective. Like the scenes disturbed me and they allowed me to buy in to that character. I I'm, I loved that movie and I want to do it for the podcast. Eventually. Um, I highly recommend people check it out if you're into this kind of thing, but I think it's the same thing here is like, yeah, child abuse in stunting development is like a serious issue, but it's not presented here in a real world way. And within the context of the movie, it's an effective plot device. And I think it's interesting. And I think that, it's it keeps me mentally engaged to to think about why are these characters behaving this way why are they saying the things they're saying and finding them so strange that they're beyond my comprehension and i think that's the key to a lot of films that i really love and that we're talking about on the show i wholeheartedly agree i mean I, th I feel like this could easily be a conversation that like it takes like the the highway exit into um 
into like what is uh, like appropriate content for media like when is it appropriate to have trigger warnings content warnings that sort of thing i don't i think that's a little beyond the scope of what we should be talking about especially since i think we're nearing the end of the episode yeah so let's so let's get to uh let's get to the review give your final thoughts and a rating out of four i mean i, I would just say that you know it, you're very rarely gonna find some kind of any kind of horror movie that's that's not going to be offensive to someone or some audience and you know if you happen to come across one that specifically strikes a chord in you then avoid it yeah totally agree um let's say uh final final thoughts um for anyone who like studies or, or plans to study film i actually think the baby is uh, like a perfect example of how like great filmmaking technique can totally bamboozle audiences into like taking even the most absurd premises uh right premises as seriously um it, you know if you ignore some of the more egregious abuse scenes i this film really does just play out like um like an extended twilight zone episode about the dangers of over coddling your child like not only will will your child's growth be staunched but they will likely be taken advantage of in the real world by other parties who likely have less than righteous intentions um what, what really jumped out to me during this viewing and I mean, we did kind of touch on this was how Anne spends the entire film advocating for baby to have like specialized therapy and a better standard of care. When in the end, it's clear that there never, there really wasn't any intention to rehabilitate him in the first place. Like I was kind of always aware of this on, on prior viewings, but it really just hit home on this one. Um, See, so, yeah, you know, I was always, I was always aware this was the case, but it just really hit home um, this time that Anne's ultimate goal throughout the entire film was just the COVID baby solely as like this ideal partner for her disabled husband, and it's just so bizarre. Um, and again, we touched on it. If you watch this film like a second or a third time, all of the clues are there. I mean, they're still a little misleading. That's obviously the point, but. It's it's great that you can go back and piece this together. I could really see this film being remade someday or have something be very inspired by it, but I don't I it would probably turn into something much worse, like um like what Spike Lee did to Old Boy or something, right? Um, yeah, I never saw that remake. Neither did I. I don't need I didn't need to. Yeah, I have no desire. Um you know the 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 baby is a bit of a slow burn, but the payoff is just one of the most bizarre scripts and even better twist endings that I can recall seeing um, basically ever four stars. Yeah, so I, I don't think I buy into the believability of the film as much as you do. Um, there's... I'm always conscious of during the film that I'm watching an exploitation movie and then it's really silly, even though I, I can get sucked in and like take the event seriously. It 
is reminiscent of 70s made for TV movies that take on like pop psychology issues and use them as movie tropes. And I really like that. Uh, I love the, even if it's not considered good, I really love the look of this movie, which is very like drab and uninspired. It just, but that gives it that just feel of normalcy. I like the music, uh, especially the more avant stuff later in the film. I love the performances in this movie, especially Ruth Roman as Mrs. Wadsworth. I love the setup as bizarre as it is. Like I like seeing movies where I will never encounter this kind of behavior in real life and just being sort of stunned and shocked and confused by what I'm seeing. And this really stands as one of the prime examples of this kind of movie, whatever you call this genre. With all that said, the twist ending doesn't entirely work for me. As I said earlier, I think it's consistent with the rest of the plot. Like Leland was saying, you, upon a second viewing, it there are clues to it. But I don't think it makes sense given Anne's character motivations throughout the rest of the movie. And that is problematic to me. It it makes it difficult for me to... It takes me out of the movie a little bit. Um, so I think I'm going to give this three and a half stars. But it's a really strong three and a half. <laughs> if you have not already seen this, I really recommend you checking it out. It's available on lots of streaming services on YouTube. It's out on DVD and Blu-ray. I think Severin put it out. Um, or maybe Arrow. Maybe both. The VHS is not crazy expensive, even though it's really cool. So, yeah. This is just a criminally underrated, under-talked-about movie that I, I'm surprised more people don't discuss because I think it's so rife for discussion. So, four stars from Leland, three and a half from me. In the words of Joe Bob Briggs, check it out. All right, Leland, any any last words for tonight? Thank you for your continued support. Yeah, and please um, rate, review, subscribe to us. We should be available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. I post everything we do and feel free to chat with us, uh, suggest movies. We'd love to engage with you all out there. It's part of why doing this is fun to sort of join the community. So with all that said, we will be back next week. We are watching the Nunsploitation Classic. Alucarda, also known as Innocence from Hell or Sisters of Satan or Sisters of Hell. This had a lot of different VHS releases, but you can most commonly find it as Alucarda. And it's it's really available out there. Um, it's on YouTube, but it also has DVD and Blu-ray releases. So check that out and then join us next week.
until then, you all have a great one. We'll chat with you soon. Goodbye. Ha 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 ha